What is up? Welcome to another episode of NC Raw Podcast. Be sure to check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash NC Raw where you can subscribe to become an NC Raw patron. And by doing so, you can financially support our work and our future endeavors. We hope to gain enough financial stability in the very near future. By the end of 2019, we are planning to open up our own recording studio that we will also use as a kind of recovery community center, um, a place to record podcasts, but most importantly, engage with the local recovery community and continue to support each other throughout this process of recovery. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. And by doing that, um, you will receive exclusive content. Every week I do a behind-the-scenes um, little 30-minute podcast, as well as as well as uh, early release. Every podcast we record gets published like 24 hours. We throw it up on the Patreon page before we release it to the general public and all kinds of other like one-on-one communications. You'll actually be a part of the planning and organizing and building of this entire thing. So we are so grateful for your support and for you tuning in and checking us out. Today's guest is my man, Clayton Shuttle. He's an awesome dude. He's just a totally laid back cat. I thoroughly enjoy talking to him. He is the director of business development over at Asheville recovery center. And I look forward to growing a relationship with him and continuing to like keep in touch and learn from him. Uh, it's an overall uh, a great conversation. He's an awesome dude. So go ahead and give some love to my man, Mr. Clayton Shuttle. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. All right. What's up, Clayton Shuttle? What's up, man? Not much, brother. There we go. 
Appreciate you coming on. Yes, sir. Have yes, you ever sir. you ever visited this uh, this far west, west of Asheville? You ever uh, been out this way? Nah, um, looking at wedding venues is probably the only reason um, that I, I I've been out this way. Man, it's a it's a beautiful country. I, I, I love it. So, nah. Where'd you check out? Where are you looking at? Um, Sawyer Farms. Sawyer Farms. Okay. Yeah, up yeah. the hill. Uh-huh. So I went there this past uh, this past summer. It looks like we're gonna pop it off like next fall or so. Um, right now we're in the process of a thousand different things with the kids and stuff. So, um, taking our time on, on, on the audience and the show for everybody, you know yeah. what I mean? So, you know, uh, but yeah, so all your farms is beautiful. Dude, what's that like, man? Knowing yeah. that like, number one, you got a couple kids, right? Yeah. Number two, you got a wedding on the horizon. Like, yeah. what's that feel like, man? Nah, it's awesome. Um, the, yeah, the, I don't, I'm not big about the wedding because here's the thing, like, you know, that's for everybody else. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, um, but when it comes to the family aspect and, and having the kids and um, and being a dad and, and being a fiance and a partner, uh, that's that's where the magic's at. You know, like I tell people, like probably one of the most coolest things about about being a father is that you know my kids have never saw me um, who I used to be, and, and they probably will never know that. And that means a lot to me because I come across individuals all day long that are going through. Um, and then a lot of my friends in recovery that's had to, to go over that obstacle of getting their kids back and, and things like that. And um, so I think it's, a, it's an amazing thing that, like, it, it feels really good to say that my kids have never saw that. And I feel blessed and I feel lucky um, that, that I can say that because I know others aren't so fortunate, yeah. you know. But I give mad props to the, the people in recovery that are, like, you know, that have their kids back and have their families back and that went through the system, um, you know, that stuff's awesome. But, yeah, yeah I love it, man. How old are they? Um, my daughter, Eden, she's a year and a half, and my son, Kale, is uh, four months, almost five months soon. So he's he's a little bitty. Um, and then Eden, she's a bundle of joy. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll see her running around, and, man, she's awesome. She's like, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And, and, the, and, the, and the reason for that for her solely is, like that's probably like my first true love, you know. Um, like, uh, no offense, missus. Yeah, nah, <laughs> I, I love you, babe. Was, but, but when it comes to unconditional love, mm-hmm. right? So we can always, there's always conditions on partners, right? You know, if you do this or I do this, then I don't love you, know, da da da. But when it comes to your daughter, it's unconditional love, you know. And, and when it comes to your kids, you know, and and that's something that that's pretty special. That and it's like. It's not a choice, right? Yeah. It's just yeah. like she's born mm-hmm. and something inside of you yeah. automatically, it's like a flip is switched yeah. that that unconditional love just like comes comes from within. Yeah. Right? When we Organically. Were at, when we were at the hospital uh, when she was born, after like three days, we had to stay there for like three days. And I was like, we got to take her home with us. Shit. Like, this is crazy, you know? Um, and it was like stuff got real. Yeah. You know, and because uh, we were both kids, you know, ourselves, and we still are. But, you know, to see how we've raised her, man, is like, I was like, is my kid going to be bad? You know, she, is it going to be so hard and crazy? And it's like, man, it's beautiful. Um, you know, and then my fiance is like the best mom that I could ever ask for. Like, she's like, people are like, oh, yeah, your fiance doesn't work. I'm like, she she works way more than I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, way more. Because after I get home from working all day, I'm like, hey, like, I'm going to go, you know, to the gym or I'm going to go do this, you know, and it's like, you know, so because I'm trying to unwind and then I got to remind myself that like she's been busy all day because they're they're clouding, you know, they're 100 all day long. But it's badass of you 
to yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I do, man. She's uh she's awesome, and uh, you know, and, and not to break her anonymity, but she's in recovery too, mm-hmm. so she still has to you know take care of herself, and we got to find that middle ground, and like that's probably been the biggest challenge of like parenting and recovery that people don't see. You know, everybody sees like the pretty Facebook pictures and all that stuff and, and any couple in a relationship and like y'all don't lie like you know like it's true and um when you guys are both in recovery and you're trying to do the parenting thing and the relationship and taking care of yourself and like trying to build a career like she's about to start going to school soon and um you know it's like that's the hard part man it's like balancing all that but it's beautiful so yeah. i want i want to trade it for the world Hell you know? yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was the guy that like, you know, I didn't find recovery until I was 31 or 32. And I was the guy that like all throughout those years of just like reckless behavior, like mm-hmm. I don't want kids. I'm I'm going to I'm going to be yeah. selfish and yeah. treat myself to all yeah. the amazing things and the parties and the lifestyle and the fun and all that. And I just like I don't want kids, you know. Yeah. And then after like four years of um, long term recovery, I like my mindset kind of began to shift and I like did, I like really like focused on myself throughout early recovery. I didn't go on a single date. I didn't approach a girl. Like I really like did that internal investigation and really like got right with myself Mm -hmm. before I put myself out there. Sure enough, you know, my girlfriend now she has a, she has a six year old Mm -hmm. and like I can totally relate to like, exactly what yeah. you're talking about like yeah. the the joys and like the struggles yeah. and the to watch them like mm. watch them figure out like what life's all about yeah. and watch them figure like kind of like figure things out on their own and not try to like over mm. uh parent them yeah. kind of well, give them the freedom but then like what you talked about like balancing the recoveries and I'll, i'm fortunate that um i'm a member of the refuge recovery fellowship i have been go. since the very beginning and my girlfriend is a part of a different fellowship. Mm-hmm. So like we've been completely separate. There we go. Yeah. That's since the very too. beginning yeah. and very balanced out. And like, you know, she hits her meetings. I hit my three or four meetings a week. Um, but when things come up, like we talk about it. Like yeah. at the very beginning, I was like, very first date, I was like, listen, I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Two things are gonna happen. Number one is I'm gonna com- we're gonna communicate right. Right, yeah. like regardless of what happens, regardless of feelings, emotions, stress, anything like that, like we're gonna communicate. Like yeah. I'm, you're gonna know how I feel, and I and I want to know how you're feel. There's mm-hmm. nothing that you can say or do that's gonna affect the way that I feel about you. We just gonna communicate. And yeah. number two, like we're not. I'm not. At the end of the day, I'm not gonna cause any harm. Mm-hmm. Right, like point blank. Like when the smoke settles, yeah. I'm not gonna cause any harm, and we're gonna communicate right and be honest with each other. And it seems to work, man. Yeah, you know, it really does. Yeah, that's awesome. No. Where Where are you from, dude? Uh, I'm from I'm from Ohio, um, a little town outside of Chillicothe, Ohio, outside of Dayton, called Greenfield, Ohio. Nobody's ever heard of it. So when everybody's like, "Where are you from?" I'm like, Chillicothe. They're like, "Where's that?" I'm like, Columbus. They're like, "Where's that?" I'm like, "Okay, Cincinnati or Dayton." Okay. You know, it's just such a small town. It's like five thousand people. So you're um, a hockey fan? Nah. No? I've never okay. watched hockey, never no. will. I got, I got a nah. close friend that's from Columbus. Yeah, he's just big, all about yeah. the Blue Jackets. Yeah, it's big up there. Yeah. I never jumped into it, man. Like, I was raised in, in like, football and, like, basketball mm-hmm. and, like, fishing. And, and um, I'm more Southern Ohio. So, like, the hockey doesn't come in down in Southern Ohio. Gotcha. That's, like, a, that's an up north thing, you know. And, uh, yeah, so, like, I'm from a small town. 
you know, and uh, and uh, I moved down here, you know, four and a half years ago after, uh, you know, after I got out of treatment is, is when I moved. Did you down come here. here for treatment or did you come here for after care? Um, what, what what brought you here? I wasn't really supposed to come down. I mean, this is it was kind of like kind of like all an accident. Like I went to treatment for like my eighth time and the gig was kind of up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I kept going to treatment and, and all all around the place. And then I um, I knew, okay, I got to change something. You know what I mean? I can't, I got I to gotta do something different. I can't just keep repeating the same process. And um, I've been to halfway houses before, and it just didn't work. And I had to separate myself a little bit. I was like, I don't want to be in Florida, but I don't want to stay in Ohio. So I have to find something. And my discharge planner just, like, pointed a finger in, at Asheville. And I was like, you ever been there? He's like, nah. And he's like, but it's a cool city, you know? And he's like, I heard the recovery's popping. And then I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Whatever, let's do it. And um, and uh, and he's like, all right. So we set my date to go there. And uh, I got out of treatment. And I had like three days before I had to go here, to go there. And then like that's when my, I messed my life up really bad. You know, I, I've gotten in trouble before that and, and things, but... Um, on uh, let's see, October twenty fifth, two thousand fourteen, right? You know, a month and a half before I, I got clean, I uh, got in, in, involved in, in something really bad. A day before I was supposed to come down here, man, I was supposed to literally leave that next day, and I, uh, uh, you know, almost killed somebody behind the wheel. Um, you know, I got caught with you know uh, with drugs and everything, and uh, I mean, I, I hit somebody going like seventy miles an hour um, at a red light. And I hit this person so hard, my spare tire came through my back seat, you know. And, um, I mean, the charges were crazy. I was like, okay. Like, it was so messed up that, and I was so, and like I said, I've did this before. <laughs> like, I've hit somebody before, and I, this is like my third time doing something, but this is probably the worst it's been. And um, and it, it, everything was so bad when they asked me, like, you know, reading me my rights. I was like, listen, like, I did it. You know, like, throw me in prison because that was like the most freedom for me. Like, I was so sick of living the way that I was living. I was. It was a way out at that time. Yeah, it was a way out. And um, by the grace of God, man, like, I had I had so many charges. um, And the person that I hit was a was a felon with a gun in his car and he wasn't even supposed to be driving. And so they like dropped like a lot of the, the driving charges and dropped it all down to like a reckless op DWI. And we went to court for it and that got taken care of. And then, like, all the drug stuff, like, knock on woods, never even came up. You know, I don't know if stuff's lost, lost in files or what, but it, it just never came up. And I was like, yeah, like, there's no way I'm coming down here now. You know, there's no way I'm coming to Asheville. That's probably not going to happen. I'm going to prison, you know. So I came down to Asheville with, like, a day clean. I kept using after that. What was the date? Uh, December 28, 2014, um, right after Christmas. And, and I came down here with like a day clean and I tell people like I didn't know if I wanted to be clean I just didn't want to use anymore I didn't know what recovery looked like the most time I've ever had is 90 days and I wasn't any freedom in that for me it was just like staying out of halfway house bullshitting with friends I wasn't doing anything and was there an intention to prior to that like those those times that you're talking about where did you intend to yeah oh hell yeah I remember remember being on the phone with, with my dad outside of my halfway house and like in northern Ohio like Youngstown Ohio and, you know, Warren, like, shout out Warren, because, like, that's, like, that's where I found, like, my first recovery friends, you know, was up there. And, um, and I, I did, I did want to be clean. You know, I, I had a, a good job at, like, a, like, a, a car's lot, a car lot and stuff. And, like, um, 
Yeah, I was experiencing, I gotta get honest, I was experiencing some freedom. And, but here's the thing though, like, I remember the day that I, so that was 90 days was the most time I've ever had. And, and this was probably in August before that, before you know, August 2014. And 90 days is the most time I ever had. And like, I remember the day that I relapsed. Like, I remember the day that I decided I was going to use. I remember exactly what I was doing uh, when I decided I, I got off work that I was going to go use. And the sad thing about it is, is that, you know, people always say like, oh, I need one more. I need one more. And um, when I decided to use, I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I knew I, okay, it's time to go back out. Like, I, I knew that I was about to run back on that cycle um, again and, um, and, and go with it. You Can know? we go down that road a little bit? Like, what led up to that, to knowing? Yeah, somebody just messaged me and said, turn the sound on. Sounds on, dude. Sounds yeah. on. Yeah. Got plenty of sound. Yeah, he's probably trolling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's I got good. bars, baby. I got bars. Yeah, he's a good guy. So <laughs> now, what was the question? Uh, let's go down that road a little bit about what led up to that returning to use and why. Like you said, that you you were fully aware of like what you were doing. Yeah. Like what obsession and compulsion. Um, and well, and here's the thing. So he got, like he got me in my head. Now I'm gonna check just to make sure. But go ahead. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, uh, obsession and compulsion. That's probably exactly what he wanted to do. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Brendan. Um, and we'll get you on here next, Brennan. Yeah, he's in New York. He's doing big things. And so the, the, the crazy thing is, is that like, what do I, so, so people ask me like, what do I associate? I got no sound. We have no sound? I don't know. No, no one else is saying it. They'd be commenting if they did. Yeah. And. Don't, uh, I hate to cut you off. No, you're fine. Who's David Ziller? He's my, he's one of my, one of these. He's clowning you. Yeah. The headphones don't fit. Yeah. And, <laughs> sorry, sorry, bro. And, uh, one of, um, so one of my biggest things is like obsession and compulsion. Right. Mm -hmm. And what do I associate using with, you know? And at that time, like what I associated using with was pleasure, you know? So now if you ask me today, like, what do I associate using with? I'm going to tell you pain, you know, I'm going to tell you like all the negative things that come from it. But like back then, that what kind of got at my relapse was associating um, using with pleasure. So even though that I was doing a thing, going to meetings and I had 90 days clean, um, I still associated my drug of choice with, with pleasure. So it, it was pretty much just a matter. And, and, and a lot of it came down to step work and a lot of it came down to not getting honest about certain things that I was dealing with, underlying issues and things like that. And so I wanted to feel good. I wanted to feel different. I was probably like you know, having a bad day at work and I, and I wanted to feel different. Would you say that it was like seeking pleasure or avoiding pain? Um, seeking pleasure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was, uh, you know, I, I don't think I was, uh, running from too much. Um, it was just, I, I wanted to experience that, that nostalgia again, you know, and it's like, because it's not just the drugs, you know, we're addicted to the whole routine. Yeah. And, and I wanted to jump back into that. And, uh, so when I came down to Asheville, a lot of it was, um, like I said, I didn't know if I wanted to be clean. I just didn't want to use anymore. And a lot of it was I was tired, man. Like, it's, you know, I started using my drug of choice at 14, 15 years old, and I didn't get clean until I was 22. So there was a lot of time in between there, and there wasn't any breaks. You know, people say, oh, you know, uh, I started, you know, gateway drug this, gateway drug that. Like, anybody that knows me from back home, there wasn't a lot of gateway. Um, once I found what I loved, I jumped on it and I went hard and I hurt everybody around me like bad, you know, my family and anybody that ever came close to me. 
Um, so when I came to Asheville, I was, I was beaten. You know, I didn't have any car. I had a couple weeks rent in a halfway house. Um, and, uh, you know, my first job in recovery was working in, in, on metal, metal roofing um, all the way in, uh, in Arden in the middle of winter. You know, and it was like, you know, damn, this is humbling. You know, and, and a lot of it was like, what am I doing with my life, man? Like, you know, am I going to be a metal roofer now for the rest of my life? You know, like, what, what am I doing? So, yeah, it was humbling. Like, I knew things had to change. I didn't know what they were going to be. If you had told me my life's what it is today, I would have been like, you're full of shit. It's impossible that it's going to get that good. Um, but, yeah, I had no idea what was in store, man. Yeah. So, what was your, what was your first impression of Asheville? <laughs> well, my first impression was like one street because I didn't have a car and yeah. I had no idea how to go anywhere. I didn't have a car for like the first four months here. And I had like an O2 Honda Accord and I was like, this is amazing. And, uh, but, but Asheville was awesome. It's gotta uh, be a whole nother world compared yeah, to Ohio, man. Yeah, it was, it was a whole nother world. Um, uh, but the, but the big thing here is the people in the recovery scene. I was like, okay, I'm going to a halfway house. I wonder if there's anybody to hit meetings with and things like that. Um, and the recovery scene was amazing here, you know, and I mean, the sad thing is, is that like the longer you stay here, um, the more people you see go out, you yeah. know, not, not everybody makes it. I think the, the house that I was staying in when I first moved here, um, there's like one or two guys out of like 60 guys, yeah. you know, and all the houses that are like still clean and a lot of them passed away. You know, my buddy, I worked my first job with metal roof and Brandon Owens, you know, rest in peace. Like he, he died, you know, and, um, and so on and so on. And it's just something that, you know, you see it, but like, there's also a lot of people that's recovered as well. You know, a lot of people that are doing it, but Asheville was awesome. Um, you know, it welcomed me with open arms and, and uh, you know, this is where I, I didn't plan on staying. I, I thought I would be indicted on charges and stuff. So I would have to, I only plan on staying here for a couple months and then going to prison or going to back, going to jail. Um, so when I found out that when that, you when you came down here, were those charges still lingering and they hadn't cleared any of that stuff up? They haven't right? started yet. Okay. So, so when you I, were still like yeah. looking at some pretty yeah. significant. Yeah. When I came down here, I had to go up to court for like the vehicular charges and stuff. But the judge lowered all my vehicular charges because she saw like how the you know the the, the drug charges. She's like, okay, he's going to go away for these. So let's just you know lower the vehicular charges. He's not going to need a license in prison. You know, and so. She, um, the, the drug charges were downplayed. You know, I, nobody said much about them. Um, my lawyer was like, okay, it's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And uh, by the grace of God, nothing's happened, man. Yeah. And, um, you know, and he don't think anything's going to happen. What's the statute of limitations on that? Seven thing? years. Okay. Yeah, seven years. And um, so, uh, but yeah, man, and, and uh, Asheville welcomed me with open arms, you know, and, and I hit the ground running um, with, my, with my recovery in that, in that first 90 days, you know, 120 days, and, and, uh, and took off. Was... Do you think that facing these consequences was what opened you opened your eyes to like really investing in recovery this time around, or was it a cu accumulation of? It was like definitely an accumulation of it all. I, I don't think the con I mean I don't think the le the legal stuff never stopped me before. So I don't think it was a lot of the legal ramifications. I think a lot of it was family, um, like. Mom, it was on a Sunday when that stuff happened, and my mother texted me that day. She texted me like a sermon from church, like literally like ten minutes before that happened. Mm. So like she, so she, um, she, re it kind of reminded me of like what I was doing to my family. You know, it kind of reminded me of like what I was doing to everybody around me. So 
and like I said, I, I've been in treatment before, uh, and I've and I've been in and out of institutions and stuff like that. So when I came down there, like I was tired of letting people down. I was tired of letting myself down. There wasn't a lot of other options for me, you yeah. know, besides like you know prison or death. So that was kind of like the stopping point. Like this gig's up, man. Like this is where you know something has to has to work, you know. And I knew it was up to me. I couldn't point fingers and be like. You know, it's this person's fault or that person. I couldn't point fingers anymore. There's nobody left to point yeah, a finger at. Yeah, there wasn't at. anybody left. You know, yeah. me and my dad's relationship was was all but was all, was all but done. You know, I have I have four sisters. Um, I have four sisters. Thank and, you, Kendall. And and, um, and that was that was all messed up as well. And, and uh, you know, it was time for me to to take reins and and do what I had to do with it. So that that feeling of like for the first time in my life, right? Accepting responsibility for mm. all of my past actions, yeah. right? Yeah. It seems that it like, I can't pinpoint like why or where that came from. It just yeah. like came out of yeah. nowhere. You're right. Whether, you know, um, I, I just don't know. I just can't pinpoint it, but I can remember like walking out of, um, walking out of Marion County jail after being in there for a few days and mm -hmm. bail finally came and, um, walking out of jail that day. And I just like sat in the back of my brother, like had to drive like three hours from where he lived in Tallahassee to come pick me up. And like, just knowing that, like I had done all that damage and sitting in the back of the car and just like a wave of yeah. taking responsibility for my actions. Like you, yeah. you kind of hit on, like there was nobody else to blame. There was nobody else to point a finger at. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, there had all leading up to that point, there had always been somebody to point yeah. a finger at. So there's always been other other ways and means to keep going, mm -hmm. you know. And it's like my avenues were shot. Like I, I, I couldn't, I didn't have the energy to the the to find any more reasons to to keep using, man. And and then my quality of life, I was 120 pounds, 100, 130 pounds, and Dude, yeah, for real, yeah, yeah. This I guy's got, this guy's jacked, man. I'm not, I'm not anymore. I'm, I'm a dad now. Oh, um, and everybody will agree with that. And I, um, so I was pretty broken, man, when I got here. Um, so, you know, I, I started off just uh, trying to get a network, trying to build a network, you know. And like I said, so many people were going back out, so it was hard, you know. So it's like they say stick with the winners, and, like, that's what I had to do. Like, How do you identify the winners? Yeah, I had to right? identify. Well, I mean, it's obvious, though, yeah. man. Like, yeah. people say it's hard to identify who to hang out with. Like, that's bullshit. Like, it's obvious, mm -hmm. man. There's people that are really doing it and they, they've been on this podcast and, and, and you know, them, you know, um, you know, Coop was a big one, you know, Philip yeah. was a big one that I watched, um, you know, because I didn't have any idea how to be a man of integrity, you know, and, and how to take care and handle responsibility. Cause like, you know, I always tell people that like, it was, life was kind of harder getting clean because I had to take care of shit. You know, I had like real life stuff going on. And when I was using I didn't have any responsibility. I didn't take care of anything. If I got pulled over, I got a ticket. I ain't paying it. You know, yeah. suspend, suspend my license. I don't care. You know, if I get pulled over, I'm going to jail anyways. So it's like, what's a license going to do? You know, or and um, and bills didn't take care of that. You know, um, job didn't take care of that. So um, when I got clean, like it was, it was time to wake up. You know, and, and my first two years clean, they were kind of a nightmare, honestly, because like. You know, I, I started, you know, going to meetings and going to the gym and feeling good. And then, like, you know, relationships come into play. And, like, I realized that, like, I have feelings and I care about people. But then I really don't know how to respect people. I don't know how to treat others. I don't know how to live with integrity because I've never did it before. 
you know, and uh, you it's know, a learning curve. Yeah. And you still hurt people clean. You mm-hmm. know, you still you still go through, tr- uh, you know, trials and you and you hurt people clean. Um, and, and then you kind of, you know, fall on your ass a couple times, you know, sober. And uh, you're like, OK, here we go. Here we go. Let's try to. Let's what can I learn from this experience? Yeah. What can I what can I learn from this experience? Um, you know, and that's how, how I'm at today is, is by falling on my butt a couple times and and picking myself back up, you know, and. You know, and, and I wanted to do more, I guess, like, you know, than just they say, like, don't use it no matter what. And like, well, that's so important, you know, or like as long as I didn't pick up. But I, a lot of times, like, I can't say that, you know, in, in my recovery. Now, if somebody says in their recovery, which I know a lot of people that do, that's awesome. Like, you know, as long as I don't pick up. But for me, that's like, you know, I can do this fuck shit as long as I don't pick up. And it's like, I can't do that, man. You know, I have, I have people watching me, you know, and, and I have like, you know, my kids and my fiance and my family and, 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 and I have, I represent something and, and it's like, and then I represent myself as well. And, and it's like, I, I, I try, I can't live like that. Yeah. You know, I, you know, if I don't pick up, that's amazing. And, you know, just for today and just for tomorrow and, and everything else. But, um, you know, I have to, I have to, you know, walk it like I talk it, you know, and, and make sure that I am taking care of my business at home. Um, and that I, I don't have any secrets and I don't have any, you know, stupid stuff going on in my life. It's weird that like you hit on like the, you know, being a man of integrity. Yeah. And I think that's like so important. Yeah. But it's also a learning process, like you said. And like it's so easy to how your mind will just play tricks on you too. Yeah. Right? Like oh, just yeah. something so simple, like your wife yeah. or whoever will hit you up and like yeah. ask you a question and you know you don't want to like answer it. But you, yeah. you just like Silly for, stuff. for a split second, your mind just wants to lie. Yeah. And your mind wants to be dishonest. And it really takes, even like yeah. four years later, right? Yeah. It takes intentional effort to mm. like stop that. Yeah. To yeah. pause for a moment and then give the honest answer. Mm-hmm. Like I run into that shit all the time, dude. And it's just yeah. like, even if you don't do anything wrong, it's just natural to be it, like, yeah. "Oh, I was doing this instead of that." You know, it's like you said, you know, you said you're a Burger King, you're at McDonald's. You know, what's the point of that? You know, it's silly. Like, I, I don't know. It's silly. You know, and and then you find like new addictions, man. Like you know, what new things that you struggle with. You know, like I, I went through like a gambling phase last year that like was was incredibly bad. You know, and and uh, a lot of people joke with me about it, but like. No, nah, it hit me. It, it it brought out the obsession and compulsion mm-hmm. that I ain't felt in a long time. It goes back to that seeking out pleasure that yeah. you talked about at the beginning yeah, of the and show. It, it goes out the seeking out the seeking out pleasure, and um, so like I have to be honest about that. You know what I mean? I have to be honest. Like during March Madness and during like football. <laughs> Bro, season. I seen you in the yeah. front row of them games, man. Yeah, yeah, uh, they, yeah. That was that was an amazing time. Yeah, yeah. We uh, went down there. Just saw the first round. Got to see Zion play. Yeah, you know, got to meet some cool people. Um, sit beside some awesome people. It's memorable, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the gifts of recovery, you know. And that I was, I went there with uh, my boss's husband, um, you know, and, and yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. So, uh, but like, and that's what you, and, and that's what recovery is about—is experiencing those things and remembering, um, you know, events like that. And, and yeah, it was neat, man. Yeah, so yeah. dope. I was like, I was watching. I seen you posting pictures, and I was yeah. like, damn, man, he's at the games, dude. That's one of the things about like learning how to enjoy those experiences in recovery without having to use substances. Like, yeah. um, bro, growing up in Tampa, Florida, we would always get the college basketball tournaments. They come down yeah. there. I saw a Sweet Sixteen, um, the year that Ed O'Bannon and all those cats won for UCLA uh, against Duke. I saw a bunch of different. Um, Final fours and mm-hmm. stuff, and it was just a hell of a time, man. It was like that's beautiful. You're a sports guy? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. What do you think about this Tiger Woods stuff, man? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I was watching it. I was watching it yesterday, and I've always, like, grew up like a Tiger fan. Mm -hmm. And then, like, the degenerate gambler part of me, I was telling my boss about it. I was like, man, I'm so mad because a year ago today, like, I would have put money on Tiger, like, no doubt, you know? Uh, but to get off that, but to get off that topic, and, and you know, just for today, I'm gonna practice and, and and not have to go through that again, that pain. But um, to learn how to enjoy watching the game without yeah, that reward, without system. that reward system. Yeah, and you're exactly right. And and since I haven't been, it's been awesome watching sports. And but to see what Tiger did, man, that was that was a big deal. It was it was a, a game changer. And um, and he, I mean, he was playing against. You know, some guys that, that's been there before. You know, Cupcheck is like, he wins majors. Mm-hmm. You know, he does a lot. Um, and Tiger coming down and just, dude, he was, the thing that surprised me about it all was like how calm he was. You know, he, he had he, the same look on his face yeah. as he did. But as, soon as, he years sank, but as soon as he sank that last putt, he broke. Yeah, he, he broke. And, and hugging his kid. Yeah, and hugging stuff. his kid. Yeah, yeah, that stuff was amazing, man. Yeah. Um, I, I have one concern about the whole situation. Yeah. And that is that. What if he didn't win yesterday? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like everyone, any 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 mat, any newspaper you pick up today, any sports website, yeah. you go on Twitter, anywhere and everywhere, people are like, wow, Tiger Woods yeah. is back, right? Yeah. But the dude has worked so hard, right? Like physically, mentally, probably spiritually, like mm-hmm. going through the issues that he had with yeah. his divorce leading into, you know, some substance use and yeah. driving an influence and stuff like that. He's worked so hard to get to like where he is. Yeah. And like, had he not won yesterday, would all these people give him the credit yeah. for all the, 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 the changes that he made in his life? You know what I mean? Like he wouldn't have even been on the news in any of these headlines nah, had he not won that day. And like, he deserves like, yeah, you know but, what I mean? Like another aspect of that is like, you know, I don't think he would be on any headlines, but yeah. but then it, but it's like, what would that mean to him though? You know, he's mm-hmm. been on headlines his whole life. Yeah, it might not be a big deal to him. Now it's a big deal he won, but if he would have lost, I think he would have still got the same satisfaction out of what he did coming in second or coming in third, because him not being in headlines would never be a bother to him because yeah. he's been in headlines his whole yeah. life. You know, but um. Yeah, but him winning it and sealing it and, and seeing that, man, like for like everybody's like Tiger's back. It's like if I was Tiger, I'm checking out. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm done. You know, it's like I I did what I had to do and and I I made it back. See you all. Take care. I'm I'm, I'm done, you know. I, I guess what I'm thinking about is that like you know, in the day and age of like um culture shock and people getting upset and like yeah. stigma with people who make mistakes, mm-hmm. right? Like there's never like a clear path to forgiveness or a path to redemption. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, um, how to change like the culture and the way that we Mm -hmm. like outcast people for whatever it is, silly decisions that they make and, um, you know, going down roads that we did, like there has to be a clear defined way to say like, Hey, Steve's got his shit together now, mm-hmm. right? Like, it doesn't take winning the Masters to, to like, yeah. put some love on that thing. Sometimes you know it does, I mean? though, man. Not I everybody know. wants to see your success. And, like, and, you know, there was a, and, and, and this translates into a lot of things. There's a, there's a certain guy in, like, a certain room who 
shares like really honestly and goes off on people and everybody's like f that guy he's terrible he's a piece of shit and i was like the only difference between his problems and my problems is that he tells everybody his problems i don't tell anybody mine so it's like the only difference between your problems and his problems might be that yours is a secret and his is out in the open you know so it's like the thing with tiger is that stuff maybe isn't a big deal yeah you know what i mean it's a big deal because everybody's watching you know it's a big deal because everybody sees it and, and you know what if what if lebron james got pulled over going 100 miles an hour in a 40 mile per hour zone everybody be like oh he could have killed somebody it's going crazy how many times have you did that i did it a couple times quite a few yeah, you know what I quite mean? a few yeah and you know and, and things like that so um you know what if everybody heard that you, you and your wife you know or you and your fiance arguing at night what if everybody heard it you know what if everybody saw that stuff you know how you know what if everybody got to say then yeah you know so um you know, I think that's how it's portrayed through the media and things like that. You know, uh, nobody's perfect. Yeah. People make mistakes, you know, and I guess the best thing you do is be aware of those and uh, and try to change. You think he's going to keep keep bringing it? I hope so, man. I hope so. I, um, I mean, hopefully he has a break for, I think he has a break for like a month and then yeah. he's back again. He's fucking jacked, bro. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah, he looks pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah, I've always been a fan, man. I'm a, I, you know, I, I want to see... Uh, um, Polder do better. Ian Polder, I like I like him. Uh, but yeah, I've always been a fan uh, of Tiger. So no, nah, it was cool. When you first moved to Asheville, um, and you talked about like finding your community, right? Finding your people, finding yeah. your tribe um, in Asheville. First of all, like I just just thinking about like that kind of topic. Like, why is it that? Why do you think Asheville as a whole? became this kind of like phenomenal recovery community, right? There's some, like when I started doing this podcast, like I was interviewing people from around here, mm -hmm. yeah. and like Cherokee, Bryson, and then like the Asheville scene just exploded on me and being so far away from like where I live, like I don't get out there for meetings and stuff like that as yeah. much as I would like to. Mm -hmm. um, and I began to realize that like Asheville has it going on when it comes to recovery. Yeah. And so like, I guess like why, why did it become what it is today? I, you know, like, I don't. I think it's more of like the kind of like attraction rather than promotion, man. I mean, um, everybody sees what's going on here. You know, everybody sees. You know, like I'm from a small town in Ohio. You know, and like and, and so when somebody sees Asheville, they're like, wow, that's amazing. You know, and, and they see people thriving here. Um, and then like the whole stuff with like the Florida treatment and things mm -hmm. like that, it's not the spot anymore. The California treatment, that's not the spot anymore. So a lot of people come here um, and around this area, the Georgia area, there's a lot of treatment centers and, and, and on the East Coast, there's a lot of treatment centers and up, up above us in Tennessee. And this is where, and then the recovery homes here, the halfway houses, man. I mean, how many sober living programs are there in Asheville? Like 20, yeah. you know? And, and that's kind of been this, the mecca for it. And you have all them sober, sober livings and treatment centers, there's people gonna be attending meetings. And, um, and then, you know, they, they start staying clean and making it, um, and, and they stay here, you know, they, does, they start to develop and be a member of the community again yeah. and, and, and to be taxpayers and to be employable, you know, and, and, and I think that's what's so attractive to it is that people get their lives back. And that's a cool thing when you see somebody getting their life back, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, what what steps did you take like when you first got here and you got settled in like what steps did you take to align yourself with the right people and find the right people and like what did that look like in your life what kind of um, action did you take probably finding out who wasn't who weren't who weren't the right people yeah. you know um first um 
and, uh, you know, just talking and being honest and being honest with myself about what I was going through. Um, and, and, and like sober living is what saved me and sober living. And it doesn't have to be everybody's story, but like, that's what worked. Because you didn't necessarily go to treatment after this accident, right? No, you just came down here and got yeah. to, no, I, I didn't. And, uh, you know, and sober living is what helped me, you know, and, and, uh, and being around guys that, that some of us made it, you know, my buddy Joe, he lives in Virginia. Um, me and him were like two peas in a pod and whether he went, I went and he's still, and he's still, and he's still clean to this day and he's engaged and, and, um, he's got just like a month less than I do. And, um, he's doing a thing. And so it's like getting connected with like-minded individuals and people on their own paths, you know, is what was amazing for me. And, and no, I didn't go to treatment, you know, and, and you don't have to go to treatment. I tell people all the time, like, you know, treatment's not recovery. People be like, I work in recovery. It's like, were you working in the, in the rooms or something? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't work in recovery. I work in treatment. And um, do I have the opportunity to touch, to touch people's lives? Yes. You know, do I get to share my message with individuals that I meet? Of course. You know, but at the end of the day, like, if you, if you break your leg and you go to the hospital, you're not in recovery. You're being treated. You know, so, like, I don't ever want people to think that, like, oh, they come to a treatment center and, like, everything's just taken care of and they're going to be a brand new person. That's not the case, you know, like... What a treatment center can do is put you in a position to succeed. Make sure that they, they surround you with, with, uh, with all the tools and, and, and everything that you need to lead you in the right direction. You know, but the real work happens like when you walk out those doors. You know? so, so I'm big in like, that I don't work in recovery you know? because like, I try to live recovery, and, and I'm always open you know, to talk to people. Um, so very clear, defined lines between is. the two. It is, man. And now, it's a recovery process. It definitely mm-hmm. is. Um, you know, it's definitely a recovery process and, and the people that, that work, um, in treatment are doing awesome things and you guys are awesome. Um, and you guys are touching so many lives, you know, but that's kind of how, that's how I feel about it, you know, and everybody might not agree with that, you know, because there, cause there's no magic potion that you shake on somebody they drink in there and they're clean, you know, like there has to be a willingness on, on, on the individual's part when they walk in those doors to want to do it, you know, yeah. so definitely like. Um, can relate to the statement that you made that like the real work starts when you leave, right? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. for me, the treatment, the 30 days in mm-hmm. Ocala, Florida provided <laughs> the, the right amount of structure yeah. Yeah. F- to get away from the chaos, right? I yeah. didn't know how to live my life. Yeah. And it provided the adequate amount of structure for me to focus on the process of yeah. recovery. And the beautiful thing was that like, I've always been like a rebel, you know, like yeah. define authority, right? yeah. push the limits, mm-hmm. tiptoe the line. So like for me, and I, I would say like, that's, I'm somewhat of a unique individual in the fact mm-hmm. that like, it was very important for me to like define my own path and figure out, yeah. figure out what was going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And luckily the treatment center was very open to the path that I, yeah. um, you know, chose the, yeah. and the reason why I, chose that path was because I had experienced some of the relief that the meditation practices through refuge, refuge recovery mm-hmm. will provide. Yeah. I had done some, um, some very basic meditation in like a forced treatment through like DUI school to get yeah. my license back on DUI number two. Yeah, so like, that was what, not fun. no, yeah. but like he was just like, they, that the, 
the DUI school for some reason. I had to do like 13 weeks of like yeah. group counseling. That's terrible. Yeah, it nobody was, in there cares. At it was all. brutal. I had to go speak to people. Nobody at one time. cares. Nobody cares. Nobody yeah, cares. That's your story. Yeah. Um, and the I did not want to be there, but I had in order to get my license back, I had to do it. Mm-hmm. So I went, and literally for that hour every week that I was there, there was an old hippie cat. He was teaching meditation, mm-hmm. right? And I wasn't invested in it i wasn't there to get clean i wasn't there to do any of that stuff but get my license back but for that one hour that i was there i would participate in these meditation basic simple stuff like just breathing body scans some candle gazing just real simple stuff and for that one hour a week i got out of my head yeah i got out of my head i got out of that pursuit of pleasure i got away from that um avoiding Mm -hmm. and resisting the discomfort and painful experiences so when I did have that moment of clarity and I wanted to seek out treatment, I wanted to pursue the meditation. So I just like did some Google searches and yeah. realized that um, refuge recovery was like focused around these types of practices. So I took it and I ran with it. Yeah. And I, I showed up to the treatment center with the refuge recovery book in 2014 my counselor had never even heard of it before, you know, because it was so new at that mm-hmm. time. It was yeah. a couple months old. This is what worked for you, yeah. I said, hey, this is yeah. what I would like to, I would like to try this. And he, he, I left him the book overnight. I let him kind of like dig into it a little bit. And he was mm-hmm. like, I fully support you in, in doing this. And by them allowing me to do that, I was able to um, get a real basic understanding of like what this process is going to look like so that when it was time um, to get out of there, I had a, I had like I had what you said some yeah. found a foundation to work on a foundation to grow upon, um, and it it totally worked you know and that's why like I'm I'm all about that's why the name of the show is NC Raw Recovery Always because yeah. I'm 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 super supportive of the individuals who can figure out different what, avenues what works for yeah. you and like it's all about like what do you want how do you mm-hmm. want to do this thing like I support you in any way that you choose to mm-hmm. do it as long as it's a way that's going to allow you to continue to grow and allow you to like achieve your full potential in a sense, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with that a lot. And and then like alternative, so alternative ways to get clean, right. And alternative (laughs) ways of recovery. Like when I first got clean, it was obviously absence based, you know, is how I got clean. And that's just my story. And of course, everybody who gets clean through abstinence based are like, Absence based is the only way to go. It's the only solution, and um, and I was like a big warrior of that. You know, probably my first like three years clean because it worked for you. Because it worked for me, but mm-hmm. also it was like down, like, you know, looking negative. I mean, a lot of it was like ego too. Like, you know, if you don't do it my way, you're not good enough. You know, and people on mat, you know, on MAT, I'm like they're not clean and things like that. And like I said it a lot, and I judge people that were doing that we're on Matt a lot and the thing that changed my mind and I don't think this individual even knows that he changed my mind on this is that my, one of my buddies and he's actually a co-worker of mine was was sharing at a meeting and uh, he lost his um he lost his uh his cousin to uh to an overdose and he he said the same thing I used to have very strong opinions about MAT because it's not the way he got clean and um and then his his cousin, you know, overdosed and died. And he said, "I wish you, I wish he was on Suboxone. Yeah, and I wish he was on MAT." Yeah. And, and and what that did for me is it opened up my mind a little bit to say, "Why did I get clean? I got clean to live a better way of life, right? 
how to get clean and be clean and get clean to live a better way of life. And which means, you know, obviously being, uh, you know, free of uh, all moon and minority substances, but also having freedom. So whatever attracts individuals to a, a better way of life, I'm for you know, the treatment center that I represent, you know, we're abstinence-based, um, but we are fully supportive of anything that might, that might attract somebody to recovery. And that might be what their recovery looks like. You know, and I'm completely fine with that. And I think that is an amazing thing because people are getting their, fam- they're getting their family back. You know, they're, they're, they're finding, they're, they're employable. You know what I mean? They're, they're making conscious decisions without being slumped over. And now, like my opinions on Matt are definitely not long-term whatsoever. Yeah. You know, um, and and, and um, that's kind of how I feel about it. But but it has its purpose, you know. And, and I it, think that's the most important part right yeah. there is that it has its purpose. Yeah, it totally has its purpose, you know. And like the way that we kind of like live in society is like, yeah. you know, some there's a lot of science sci- um, research that supports MAT. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm all about it. Like, yeah. But I, again, like we tend to like, we tend to react. Oh yeah. To situations. Oh, it's something right? different. We react. We react to anything that's not familiar to us. Yeah. You know. And so, like, not like, I've seen countless individuals mm-hmm. be extremely successful in through MAT. Yeah. Right. But I've also seen many individuals abuse it. Right. Yeah, me too. I yeah, I have. Yeah. And so it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, like, how do you figure out like what how how, how do we identify yeah. who is like how do we screen in and identify who's an appropriate candidate for this? Yeah. Somebody very close to me relapsed like yeah. a year and a half ago. Yeah. Right. They relapsed after after almost a decade in long term recovery. Right. They had like a month back out. And then the doctor wanted to put them on MAT, right? And I'm, yeah. and I'm just like, uh, is that the yeah. best thing for them? Yeah. You know, like, is that the most appropriate way to address this situation? Yeah. I understand, like, the um, long-term substance users and things like that. But, like, in this particular, I don't know. So I, I just, like. No, how, you're right. I totally, like, I think that because of the the cloud that this whole, like, coined opioid epidemic that yeah. has had now we're like now we're responding automatically to MAT in like every situation yeah. right and is it the best fit for yeah. every individual and like yeah. that's why I think it's so important to like screen these and in, screen these individuals and yeah. find like find what the most appropriate yeah. way is like what do you want to do what do you want to do Steve well I want to check out meditation right like yeah what's going to be you know like I support you here's all these tools that we got what do you think is going to work for you what yeah. are you interested in what are you passionate about like and outside of the treatment sector, uh, you need, like you mentioned, like we're looking at individuals and seeing if it's right for them or not outside of like diagnosing them, of course, and judging that on a clinical perspective. What if it doesn't fucking matter? What if like it doesn't matter if we think it's right or wrong for them? You know what I mean? Because like what we do and as abstinence based recovery, they're probably looking at us judging the shit that we do clean. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, so. You know, I have to make sure that I don't judge like, hey, that person shouldn't be on it because like, what? maybe it's working for them, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and maybe um, I don't know the pain that they've been through. You know, I don't know the pain that he's went through. He don't know the pain that I've been through. You know, let me love them regardless, you know. So, you know, and that's my thought of it, you know. And and um, so, yeah, yeah, all, all avenues. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I totally support it, you know, in yeah. the right set, in the mm-hmm. right setting for the right individual. 
Yeah. I just think it's important to get to that point to, yeah. to find out what, what it what it is that's going to work for them. Yeah. And then on a, and, th- and then when it comes to like a clinical perspective, um, and then you get into like the privatized treatment sector of it, like you know, insurance companies love Suboxone. They mm-hmm. love they love Vivitrol, you know, which is amazing and life saving. But they love those things because, um, for one, their main job and objective is for people to stay out of treatment. You know what I mean? And, and they and they love that way. And then to a lot of treatment centers. You know, no. I heard somebody share this the other day. No treatment centers were forced to box until they could start building for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and and you see a lot of that too. You know, there's like so many people that are just marketing suboxone like what like, you know and uh it's like you know it's big pharma it's everything it's how that works you know they uh you know they sell us the drugs and the cure you know so um so whatever yeah well i think like you know we choose to work in the field yeah as you do it's so important to align yourself with individuals that you yeah. know have the same type of ethical values that you do right yeah and it's hard too man because you know Everybody wants to point, you know, ethics and point, you know, everybody's perfect. And, you know, I know so many people who do nothing but just point about who's perfect and who's not perfect and they're not walking the right light. You know, like um, to, if you've worked in treatment and you say that you've been 100 percent perfect, then, you know, you're not you're not being honest, you know, because everybody's made mistakes, you know, and everybody's, you know. But the main the most important thing is, is knowing what you're doing today and knowing why you're why you're doing what you are doing. You know, like the people that I work for and the people that I work with, like I would trust them with my life. You know, my bosses and my coworker. And, and you co- told me that before we started this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, and like my bosses and my coworkers, like I know what they do behind closed doors. You know, I know their families. I know their cousins. I know their brothers. I know their sisters. I know their mom and dads. I, I know who they are when everything's shut down. I know why they do what they do. And, and so anything that's ever said or anything that I have to say about other people, like, you know, it's not going to be on an opinion standpoint. It's going to be something that I've saw. So anybody who has opinions about how somebody operates, I always want to ask them, like, have you visited them? Like, have you talked to them about this? Like, um, have you saw this for yourself? You know, I I know somebody who works in the field and, 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 uh, they hurt a very loved one of mine. That's a professional, you know, and she's, and she's who taught me how to do this. She's who taught me how to do everything. And this, this individual who works in the field, you know, preached ethics and preaches, you know, how, how everybody's wrong and he's right all the time. And then he did some really messed up stuff to this individual, you know? And, uh, so it's like, it's important to that. If you are going to preach all that stuff and let everybody know how perfect you are, you know, you're going to have eyes on you. So make sure you walk it, you know? And, uh, yeah. So, you know, but what we're doing, like I, I work for Asheville Recovery Center, you know, and, and what we're doing is amazing. You know, we're not, so we, I mean, we're more solution-based, man. Like we, um, we don't bring people in here and say, look how bad drugs are, look how bad alcohol is, look how bad your life is. Like we all know that we don't need to reiterate the D.A.R.E. program. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we're focusing on is those underlying issues, those co-occurring disorders, the behavior traits, the thought processes, you know, because me as an addict, it's not about the drugs anymore. If it was about the drugs, I could just stop doing drugs. My parents and family would have saved a lot of money, you know, but that, but that wasn't the case. But it's about my coping skills are distorted. Mm-hmm. My coping skills are messed up. Non-existent. Of, non-existent. And a lot of individuals that, that come to us um, for treatment, they've been to treatment three or four times. Or maybe they was just the first time. But, like, everybody comes to the same conclusion that, like, the way that I interpret it, emotions are, are messed up. 
the way that I interpret pain is, is messed up. 100%. And, 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 and even yeah. happiness. And I tell people all the time, like when I was eight years old playing in a sandbox, I never said, like, I want to be a heroin addict when I grow up. But when I was eight years old playing in a sandbox, I did feel impulsive. I did feel like I gravitated towards things of pleasure. I did feel that, that I was easily, easily manipulated and I was manip manipulative. I did feel those things. So I have to really identify with uh, that side of it before the drugs pick up. And that's why I think it's so important to, to educate the youth, you know, because of course we have our D.A.R.E. programs, right, that are going in and telling people drugs are bad, you know, but you can tell criminals guns are bad. That doesn't change anything. But, like, what are we doing to address the thinking behind it? And, you know, um, I struggled with depression when I was young, and nobody knew about it, you know. And, but and for one, I really didn't know who I could talk to, you know, and you know, I used opiates. As, as soon as I found opiates, I found something warm in me, you know, and something that felt good. So... If I would have been educated upon my underlying issues and, and, and things that were happening that were causing me to do that, man, that might have changed a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So I don't need educated about drugs. I know what drugs are. You know, I know what they look like. I know what they do, but I had no fucking clue what was going on inside me. So like that's what we focus on a lot is what's going on in the head, like what's going on in our decision making and our coping skills. You know, why are we continuing to revolve ourselves around the same pattern? You know, and, and that's the big deal because that's where the solution's at, yeah. you know. So I can definitely relate to, um, I mean, almost identical to what yeah. you said about as far as like, um, impulsive behavior at a very young age, chasing pleasure, yeah. avoiding pain and not, not knowing how to cope with emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not that like, you know, my parents did, uh, uh, talked about these things. Yeah. They taught like, yeah. they talked about them. And so, like, my, my question is, like, where's the disconnect? How do you educate a young person yeah. on how to cope with these both positive and negative emotions in a healthy way? How do you um, talk to yeah. my six-year-old, you know, future stepson about how he's feeling? How, mm -hmm. do, we, how do we get the... How do we instill these values into our kids? Yeah, that's a great question. So that they don't, because, like... Yeah, I mean, I heard it. My parents talked to me yeah. about it, right? Like, yeah. life ain't fair, right? You're yeah. going to feel bad. You're going to have ups and downs, highs and lows. Yeah. Like, that's what life's all about. What I learned through refuge recovery and through, um, you know, Buddhist psychology is that how to, I learned how to have the same relationship to pleasure as I do to yeah. pain, right? I learned how to appreciate the pleasurable experience in a non-attached way. Yeah and that they're fleeting and that they'll go. And I learned how to bring some compassion and some forgiveness to the discomfort and to mm -hmm. the um, uncomfortable feelings, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think about this all the time. It's like, how could, how could I have learned that at five, six, seven yeah. years old? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, Yeah, you know? Um, but it's yeah. something I think about. Yeah, and, and, and then a lot of it, like with getting clean, like it, and then trying to find that outlet, like a lot of it is that like, I don't like you because I don't like me. I don't mm -hmm. trust you because I'm not trustworthy. I don't believe in you because I don't believe in myself. Mm -hmm. So finding that inner love for, for ourselves again, you know, and opening up to another individual and becoming intimate with another individual was a big breaking point in, in what I see in individuals in recovery. Um, a lot of the reason for that is, is I was for I always thought the word intimate meant sex, you know, mm -hmm. and then I had it explained to me. It just means opening up to another individual. And the success rate that I see of people who learn to be honest with themselves, not with other people, because you can say, hey, Stephen, you dropped a dollar on the ground. Cool, big, awesome. But 
when you begin to be honest with yourself about your boundaries and what's going on with you, man, like that's where the freedom's at. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where I see when I have people that's come to the treatment a couple times in a row and, and they're not getting it, it comes down to usually self-honesty. You know, they, they keep talking themselves into being able to live another way than they can, you know, and, and they have to find that realization. Um, and, and then how do we attract um, individuals into, in, into, into talking about that stuff? I mean, I think it's the same way that we attract in, in them into the negative stuff, you yeah. know, but it, what's been feeding in our brain for so long, like, you know where to buy a fancy car at, you know when, where to find good-looking women at, you know where to spend your money at, you know, but it's like, where do we go for pain? You know, where do we go for that stuff? And that's why that refuge recovery is amazing stuff. That's why church is an amazing outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and none of that stuff is a singular solution either. None of it is, you know, and I don't want anybody to think that, like, you have to go to uh, a 12-step program or you have to go through, you know, this or that, you know, because when I was in my despair of addiction, I would took any outlet, any outlet if I knew about anything that in, in, and I'm, you know, I'm grateful for the 12 step fellowship that I'm in and it saved my life and it's amazing, but I would have took any outlet to find freedom. You know, it's, it doesn't matter which one it was. Like if you would have put me on, you know, it's a box and I'd been like, hell yeah. You know, like I'm not, you know, doing dope every day. Sweet. Mm-hmm. You know, but eventually I abused that too, you know? So yeah, that's, that's, that's where that, you know, landed. But yeah, no, I get it. It's like, um, I don't know. It's, I don't, I just don't know what the answer is. I just like, yeah. I think about this shit all the time and like, you know, um, maybe there's not one, maybe there's not, yeah, yeah maybe there's, there's not, it's very, there's not one, but beside, but, but again, again, here's the thing that like I said in the beginning, there's a lot of people dying, but there's also a lot of people recovering. I just lost a friend yesterday, man. And I've lost so many people and when, and when people say they all, oh, they lost a friend. Like what I mean is I, I lost somebody that I've told I've loved before. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't shed a tear about it. I don't know why I don't. And it's because it happens so much. So it's like, I believe that we have a responsibility. Um, like you said, there's no solution to it. And I agree with that. But I believe we have a, a, a responsibility to make this shit look good. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, I see these recipes posts on Facebook and it's Every like, day. when will this stop? When will this stop? And it's like, well, shit, man, like he he knew what the solution was. He knew where it was at. You know, when I was out there using, I knew where it was at. I knew what I was doing was wrong. And, and I knew damn well that if I kept this shit up, I would be dead. And people, like, I, um, somebody asked me one time, it was my, my therapist in, in Glen Bay in Northern Ohio. Shout out Glen Bay. It's an amazing place. And he asked me, his name is Darian Scott. And he was my therapist numerous times. And he was like, how, how, how long can you keep doing this, Clayton? And people ask that question, they think it's rhetorical. They think it's like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, I know you're right. How long can I keep doing it? And I was like, yeah, I know, I know. He's like, no, I asked you a question, Clayton. How long do you think, can you keep doing this? And I was like, shit, he's, he's asking me a question. Let me answer it. And I was like, I don't know, maybe maybe a year. He's like, think about that. I was, I was 21 at the time. He's like, you're 21 years old, and you just told me right here that you only have a year to live, that you can only keep doing this for one more year. And I was like, damn. So when I talk to a lot of individuals and families, I ask them, you know, how long do you think can you keep doing this? And they, and they say, yeah, I know. And I'm like, nah, I'm being serious. How long? And they're like, shit, they've never thought about that. And I never thought about it either. Like, I never thought about, like, how long could I actually do this? I never thought I would, I would see, you know, my, my 20s or my mid-20s. I never thought I would see it. If you would have asked me how long am I going to live, I would, shit. Uh, I had no plans of living past 30. I had no plans. No fear of death. Yeah. Well, I did have a fear of death because I believed in God. You know, I believe mm-hmm. in God. So uh, suicide was never an option because mm-hmm. I was too scared of hell. 
but uh, I definitely believed in, uh, I, I definitely had a fear of it, but I also had a fear of quit using drugs. I was scared to quit using drugs. You know what I mean? So that fear was definitely way worse than, you know, than, than dying, you know? Um, and I heard somebody share like, when, you know, you know when, you, when you die, the pain doesn't go away. It just passes on to somebody else, man. You know, mm-hmm. somebody else has to go eat that pain up. You know, I talk to moms every day and many my friends, mm-hmm. my friends' mothers, you know, that that uh, I follow on Facebook and they talk to me and they message me. And um, I mean, that shit hurts me, you know, so much. You know, people that I love that are just aren't not, aren't here anymore. Like they're they are not on this earth anymore. Um, nobody will get to tell them they love them. They, they will never get to see their kids again. Nobody. They won't. They're not there anymore. And like that shit's real. You know, it's not just another rest in peace status. It's somebody's mother, somebody's daughter, somebody's son, somebody's uncle, somebody's dad, some little girl's dad. You know what I mean? Is gone from um, from this earth, man. And like that's that's shattering shit. That's real stuff. So it's like we have to ask ourselves, like, what are we gonna do about it? And like my only solution that I've came up is like be the best fucking person that I can be. That's probably the most impact that I could have with it is that I want somebody to look at me. And I'm not perfect, man, by any means. I'm not perfect. I have many demons that I struggle with, but I want somebody to be able to look at me and say, hey, I know I can talk to Clayton if I need help. I know I can talk to Steven if I need help. You know, when they call, I'll say, yeah, let's talk, man. Let's talk, you know. How, um, at what point in this process did you begin to work in the field? And, like, what made you, like, what was the appeal to do that? Yeah. Um, I started working in like sober living when I had, um, I love you, David. And I started working in sober living when I had like nine months clean. I was like a house manager, you know, some janky job, you know. Uh, but what I thought was a janky job. And then I see it gave me a lot of opportunity to uh, start talking to people, man, because nobody wanted to hear me talk. Nobody wanted to hear me talk. Why? Uh, it just wasn't anybody, man. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I'm not anybody now, but I mean, I'm a dad and, you know, and, um, you know, employable, but, um, when, uh, I started working in halfway, I like had, I was able to like to, to be a part of something, you know? And, and I did that for like two and a half years. And then I started like the business development side of like, um, you know, opening up more houses and like connecting with individuals who, um, when it came to a sober living aspect and then, um, but I would really say that I've been working in the field for two years, even though it's been like three and a half or four, because like when I started working in treatment, that's when I saw how real shit got. Like when you switch from like that sober living line to treatment, like that's when like the eyes really open up when you uh, like when you're coming in and getting people uh, like when's, when it's in front of you, you know, the desperation and stuff, you know, is in front of you. And, and, and it's th- serious more like there's a license behind it, mm-hmm. you know, like you're representing um you're representing something that's 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 pretty amazing. You got to change the way you act, and because when I was in half, when I was working in halfway, man, and anybody can attest to this, you do whatever you want, you live however you want, you post whatever you want. It don't matter. There's no license, no halfway houses are licensed. You know, what I mean, there's no stipulations to that. You know, but when you go and work on the treatment side, um, that's that's different. And and what and what made me want to do that, and what I get out of it, um, is a lot of satisfaction. Um, I love, I love connecting with, uh, with, with parents of, of people that came through our facility, man. That's awesome. Like, I love it from year, years, you know, after years passed and they're hitting me up and they're like, yeah, man, this is what I'm doing now. And I see them. And the thing is, and the neat thing about it is I, I see them in the rooms. Okay. I see them at their, at their places of employment. I see them 
you know, in that, the community, in the being, community, yeah. uh-huh. you know, and, and it's like, shit, this is awesome. You know, uh, you know, and like, you know, like rise sober living, like shout out rise, you know, and Colton and Nick, what they're doing. Um, like they're guys that they have over there, like doing shit. I need to talk yeah. to those guys. Yeah. They're on need, my list. Yeah. And, and like, you know, Colton and Nick, like their guys are doing shit, you know, they're like, um, they're employable and, and, and they're being men of integrity and they're making changes. And like when I, when I first met some of these people, they weren't those people. Um, and then my, a lot of my uh, opinions on sober living is that like sober living works when people want to be clean. People like you're, be, you're proof of that. Yeah. People were like, Oh, this sober living shit or this sober living is amazing. And, um, I don't think that, I don't think there's much to that yeah. because it's like, I could go to a terrible sober living, but if I want to be clean, I'm going to stay, stay clean. And then I could go to a great sober living, and if I want to fucking get high, I'm going to use. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to fuck shit up. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, I don't believe that there's a bad place and a not good place. Now, if you're doing like very unethical stuff and people are getting hurt because of what you do, that's a whole nother ball game. But when you put people in a position to succeed and you surround them with those like-minded individuals, people are generally going to attract to that. And that's why I love like what rise does. Um, because they don't have any like special thing that they do. They don't have all these like, Hey, we offer this, we offer that. Like, no, we have some all right houses. We charge, you know, one seventy five a week. Y'all hold each other accountable and let's get shit done. Yeah. You know, let's recover. Y'all go to your meetings, you know, and, and let's have a house meeting every week. Let's meet up. Let's talk about what the hell's going on. And, and that, and that, that seems would be what, what works. Some accountability, some structure. And yeah, we don't need all this fancy stuff, man. Yeah. We don't need it. You know, some people do, you know, but no. What's your position at Asheville Recovery Center? Yeah. So I handle like all the business development and, and, and what's and, the title and, and the missions. I'm director of, of business development. Director and, of and, um, so I handle like all, all that. And what I do is like, I do like a lot of out, outreach, um, going to hospitals, going to, um, you know, detoxes and, and, uh, and meeting up with other professionals and working with them and finding, you know, how we can help each other, you know, um, like shout out to freedom detox. Like that's one that we work hand in hand with, you know, you got to get, Brad, um, you got to get Brad on here. You know, he's, he's an amazing individual in Wayland down there at Freedom. And then Brianna down there at Charlotte, they're doing amazing things. Is that um, a new, is that a fairly new place? Yeah, That's what yeah, I thought I heard yeah. about. Um, yeah. I think my class, I think when my instructor did a field trip out there or something like that not too long ago, last year. Um, yeah, Brad Wilkerson um, would be the one to talk okay. on here. And he's amazing. And, and, um, so pretty much just going out and about and, and, and meeting the individuals that are trying to connect and, and seeing how we can be an outlet to help others, you know, and, and, and then I handled the, a lot of the emissions as well, along with Nick, um, Nick Barnard. And, and when it comes to like screening calls, making sure, you know, somebody's appropriate to our facility, because like, we're good at what we do, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to sit and act like we handle all oh, we handle, you got sex trauma. We handle all that. You yeah. got an eating disorder. Let's take care of that. We, we don't, you know, we don't do a lot of that stuff. You got a substance disorder and some co-occurring issues. Let's talk. Let's see what we can make happen. You know, you, uh, you need help getting off this shit. Like, let's talk, you know, and, um, we'll leave that stuff up to some other people. And one day we'll venture into those realms as well. You know, the mental health side of things, you know, um, you, you know, there's, get good at what you do. Yeah. There's, and, well, there's, do it. you know, yeah. pri- like, you know, my diagnosis is primary substance abuse, underlying mental health. You know, and if somebody has primary mental health, underlying substance abuse, we can't take care of that. You know, we have to we have to refer that out. Um, so, like, connecting with those individuals that offer those offer those things. You know, um, so that you know that's the big part of it. So, yeah. yeah, and I love it, man. We're 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 uh, we're doing big things, and and we're growing, and our family's growing um, there at ARC. 
and, and it's amazing. And, uh, you know, get a hold of me and, and come by and, and check it out. Yeah. yeah. I plan to. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. come check this, check the place out for sure. Um, you've hit on this a couple times tonight. Okay. You've talked about the family. Yeah. At ARC. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's and awful. it's a very like it's too that much. your crew, your people is like yeah. a family dynamic. We are. And there's that like level of unconditional love that you keep hitting mm-hmm. on. And like, um, how, who, whose vision is that? Where did that come from? How did that culture? Cause that's so regardless of if you're working in treatment or what, whatever business it is that you're running, like that is a culture Right. If you can create that type of culture with your yeah. peers, your employer, employers, employees, whoever, you can create that kind of culture. You will be successful, regardless of what type of business it yeah. is. And that's right? what a lot of it is, man. Um, from the moment they moved to Asheville, um, you know, Hassie, Danny, and Nathan, and like Danny and Nathan don't like no social media, so they probably don't like me saying their name. But the moment they moved to Asheville. Um, I was attracted to them, who they were as individuals, and I was working at another place of employment, and they were like, hey, you know, we can't, we can't just take you from what you're doing, but if anything ever happens, call us, and then something happened, and I called them, and we made it happen, and the reason why that family thing is so important is because, like I said, like, I trust every one of them, and, like, we don't have that drama. We don't have that, like, who's better than this, and who's better than that. Of course, there's, like, always competition to succeed, competition to be better, and, like, I, I deal with it with people in the workplace, but, like, at the end of the day, it's positive because we're challenging each other. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no secrets in between who's doing what or like, you know, this person's like talking about this person. Like when it comes to like our main people, um, you know, we represent each other. And then when it comes to the family atmosphere, like we don't want to be all corporate. We don't want, we don't have any any investors out of China and things like that. <laughs> like we are who we are. You know, um, if you want to talk to the owners and stop by and talk to the owners, you know, and, and give us a call, let's set an appointment up. You know, we don't have to go through a bunch of hoops and, and, you know, we are who we are and we're all love and we're all family and we're never going to sell you, sell you short. We're going to explain it exactly how it needs to be explained, you know, and we don't need everybody to be like, uh, you know, we don't need to be so proper, man. Like, and and I think that's where a lot of the filter comes when people now, of course, you have to present yourself in a certain way, but like, we're not dealing with a broken arm. We're dealing with substance abuse, and there's one way to fix a broken arm, you know what I mean, generally, you know, but with substance abuse, there's so many different ways to fix this. We're not dealing with your secular population of, of somebody who comes into the hospital. You know, people are like, would you treat a broken arm like this? If, how would you feel if, like, you know, it's like, nah, like, we're talking about substance abuse. And you're talking you know? about people's lives, talking too, about people's man. lives, yeah. you know, and I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to be censored. You know, I'm not going to talk to you on the phone and say, hello, how can I help you today, sir? (laughs) Are you struggling with a drug addiction? Like, nah, man, like, let's get real. Let's talk about what the hell is actually going on. Because like, you know, that's how we're going to find the solution. That's how we're going to find the success. Yeah. You know, and to those listening right now that might not agree with that, I'm sorry. But like, that's how the way that we operate. Um, And at the end of the day, we do it with integrity. And we do it with putting uh, the individual first. Yeah. Always. The individual is always first. The thing yeah. about doing it that way is that, like, you know, in so many other um, so many other places, there's just so much, like, bureaucratic bullshit. Yeah. Right? And yeah. it sounds like all that stuff's just, yeah. like, off the table right there because you're real and because yeah. you're treating people like people, including each other, right? Like, yeah. that's the number one thing that, like, I was studying... Um, at the campus down here yeah. for like a year and a half, right? To get a CSAC. And then I began to see all the bureaucracy mm. and all the bullshit. 
And like yeah. the stuff that was happening, I was like, hold on, bro, hit the brakes, dude. You, this ain't what you want to do. I don't, I can't work in an environment yeah. like that. Right. Like yeah. I got to be real with you. I got to be real with the people that I talk to regardless of, of where I go. It kind of goes back to that integrity thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to sell out for some no. shit, you know? And if you have to, and like, you know, like if you, and if you have to do that, then it's not, not your calling. Like, it's funny because people are like, why do you do substance abuse? All oh, because it's my calling. But then they get into it and they turn, yeah. turn the opposite. You know, and and I know, um, you know, like I said, there's a code of ethics you have to abide by. There's things like that. But when it comes to being real, like you, you want to do that. And, and like I spoke to you earlier, like I took human services classes at AB Tech and I went through a couple semesters of all that. And and they don't mention like the demographic that's being treated, man. Like it's not this homeless population in which there's ton of it is. And like call us like if you, you know, if, if you don't have you know, resources, call us like we will help you. I guarantee 100 percent you will not get on the phone with me and I'll tell you to take care. I promise you that will not happen. I will find you something. And, but, you know, we treat all different types of people. And, and, and you know, um, addiction does not discriminate, man. It doesn't care how little or how much or what we look like and things like that. And I feel like a lot of the sector, when you're dealing with, uh, when you're dealing with like college and you're learning about it and you're getting educated, they, they break it down to like some people who are less than, I feel like. You know what I mean? And, and like every class I took, I feel like we were dealing with less than people, like we were studying something. You know, we were studying an individual and that just puts like a glass ceiling on like how successful somebody can be in recovery. You know, I see like a lot of people get clean and they put like a glass ceiling on like what they want to do with their lives. And it's like, why, man? Like it's, it's neat to be like, yo, I could be a little, I could go to law school right now if I wanted to. Yeah. Right now I wanted to, I could go to law school, nothing's holding me back. You know, like, you know, I could be, I could go to real estate school. I could do all this. And it's like, I could go to college. Um, I could do all these things. Nothing's holding me back. But when we're talking about it in, in, in a sense, like you are, it seems like there is. It seems like there's a lot of shit holding people back. You know, it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. You know, so, there totally is. Man. Yeah. Ask Philip, man. Ask Philip. <laughs> ask him what's holding him back. You yeah. know, like shit. He's got more jobs than I've had in my whole life. Mm-hmm. Right now he has more jobs than I had in my whole life. Truth. You know, truth. Um, so, yeah. so like getting in over there and working over there, right. And getting in the family and doing yeah. all that stuff. Like, I really want to know like how you have been able to balance your personal recovery with all of the heavy workload yeah. at work with raising a family, with getting married. Like what does, what does, um, what does your time look like? Like how do you yeah. f- invest your time? in things that will support your recovery yeah. and then like what types of things do you do yeah so finding that balance i don't know if it, like people always say i don't know if there's a balance but like that's kind of true um i don't know if there is a balance i don't mean for to be the one i guess my biggest thing is that like i have to stay conscious right mm-hmm. when i'm working i have to stay conscious that i'm working and when i'm at home um you know travis herman taught me this you know shout out to travis at, at real recovery and silver ridge you know he's awesome and he taught me this like i have to like take care of 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 myself and what I mean by that is my family. I have to be able to pull that plug out. I can't, I can't say I can't be at work and be half work, half family and be at home and be half work, half family because somebody's getting left out. Yeah. So like when I am working, I have to be in that hundred percent. And when I am, and when I am home, I have to be at that hundred percent, you know? And like, I, so I've been challenging myself a lot. Like when I come home, like to go ahead and put my phones in the other room in the ba- in the other bathroom on the charger, you know? Um, let, let's, let's, let's try to focus on, you know, what I'm doing with my daughter, um, and my, and my son and my fiance and give them the time that they deserve. And then like being able to hit a couple meetings a week to take care of myself. Um, you know, that's, that's important to me. 
And then when it comes to like my hobbies, um, I love to play Call of Duty. Yeah. Um, You're asking me if I play games. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's funny because I never got into it until uh -huh. like two years ago. And like, I, I'm a dad, man. I don't go out and do a lot of things anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, we, a lot of my coworkers, we all play together. And then like, um, you know, uh, you know, going to the gym and, and, uh, and being outside going fishing. I started jumping into fishing a little bit this year. I'm excited. Fly fishing or? Nah, not nah, yet. not yet. I'm going to get into a, Nathan, my boss wants to start that. And then like right now we're in the process of buying a house. We're under contract. You know, Shit, at like my baby. first house ever, like, you know, and this is like my, you know, to own something is amazing. Mm -hmm. And we're under contract right now. Um, and everything's going pretty smooth. We should be moving in by like May. It's in Mars Hill. It's out of Asheville, like 30 minutes. It's a beautiful log house in the mountains. And um, it's pretty much like my dream home. Great, great place to raise the family. Yeah. And it's her dream home. Yeah. And, and it's just, that shit's neat, man. It's neat. Uh, because like of what I come from in my background and none of that, like I'm not supposed to be, be outside playing with my daughter you know, like that stuff's mm. not, not supposed to happen, man. You know, that was never going to be part of my story, you know, like we um, made it a part of your story, yeah, bro. We made it a part of our story. So like, look, what I enjoy doing is family, man. Like, yeah. you know, that's, that's what I enjoy doing is like being with my family and having a good time and like when me and my fiance getting along is like important too yeah. because there's so many emotions that come with work and balance and all that like if you think there's not resentment you're crazy like there's resentments on both sides always you know about who's who's doing what or, or things like that like you know so like being able like when I'm at my most peace is when everything's kind of like um, intertwining and like you know which there's always chaos in life but when I feel like everything is on the same pattern, you know, work's going smooth, home life's smooth, kids are healthy, you know, going, taking some self-care for myself a little bit. She's taking some self-care for herself and like that stuff's moving forward and we're doing good in a relationship and, and everybody's all right. That's when I'm at my most peace. And that's so how, how do you respond to like a speed bump then? Man? Yeah. How do you, how do you respond to a roadblock? Yeah, no, nah, um, well, for one, I got to slow down. I got to ask myself like, okay, why is this happening? You know, is it something I caused? You know, was I stressed out about something and I snapped, um, you know, and well, I just went through one, man, like I'm, I'm closing on this loan. And next thing you know, um, I owe the IRS. IRS. So the IRS is real. You have to pay your taxes. Yeah. So from like 2000. Today happens to be tax day as well. Yeah. From like 2016, <laughs> I had some tax bills and I didn't pay. And I'm like, mm -hmm. whoa, this is crazy. So like I had to go cut the IRS a fat, fat check the other day before I closed on my house. I was wow. like, hey, can I make payments? I was like, can I make payments to the government? And they're like, nah, but if you want this loan, you have to close. Wow. Yeah, like you have to you have to make sure this is paid in full. And yeah. I'm like, wow. So those are speed bumps, man. And 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 of course, shit was not smooth. Like uh, something came out of like my vibe, and I wasn't okay with it. And then my control issues popped up. My ego popped up. Like my humility popped up. You know, um, it hit me from all different directions. And I didn't respond to it well, man. I was flipping out. I was stressed out. Um, but like at the end of the day, like. If I take care of, you know, if I'm in, if I'm integrable, you know, like, you know, and if I take care of my business and I'm honest I'm, and everything's going to be okay, yeah. you know, it might not be perfect, but like, as long as I take care of my responsibilities, everything's going to be all right. And eventually. I think it also just goes back to that level of self-awareness yeah. just regardless exactly. of if like the wheels yeah. are coming off or not, as long as you know, yeah. they're coming off, like mm -hmm. it gives you an opportunity yeah. to respond in the most appropriate way. Right. Yeah. If you just let let go of the wheel and let it go where it goes, yeah. then watch yeah, out. Who knows what'll happen? But as long as you're like aware yeah. of the situation, yeah. and you like you hit that pause button, like you talked about, yeah, um, you you gotta re, yeah you gotta respond, man. Like it's kind of like 
you know, if you struggle with self-esteem, do esteemable things. Yeah. You know, if I struggle with responsibility, I need to do responsible things. So I knew this shit would come up and bite me. I knew it would, but I didn't know when. Yeah. And then like, I'm trying to make the biggest purchase of probably my, in my life that I'll ever make. And, 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 and I think the reason that it hit me so, per, so in such a big place is because it's like, I've never, um, I've never had a family before. Yeah. I've never had nothing, man. Like I, I never did anything myself for anybody. So it's not just affecting so you. Like, you got four I, heads. Yeah. <laughs> so when I had this envision planned out of like having the house on the mountain and like the fire going and, the, and my kids running around outside, that's my that's my dream. So when that stuff got altered, I was like, shit, man. You know, I was like, shit. But but then it comes down to gratitude, man. I got to be grateful for where I'm at today and what we have. You know. So yeah. And you muscled through it, and you got it. Yeah, we're good. We're good. We're, it's up to the sellers now. We're all good. Everything's good on our side, <laughs> the bank side. You know, everything's good. You know, shout out Remax uh, in Asheville, got Alexander Shrank and Elise. Y'all were awesome. Hit them up if y'all need a house. You got a closing date? May thirteenth. Woo! Yeah, May thirteenth. You know, and then Amanda's birthday is May fourteenth. You know, Shit. so that's cool, man. Happy my birthday, man. My, my fiance's birthday is right <laughs> after that, so. I told her she's getting a house for her birthday, so and that's a thirty-year loan, so she don't need nothing for thirty years. <laughs> yeah, so that's beautiful, man. Yeah, that's man, beautiful. So. Tell me about this fishing deal, man. Yeah, I don't know, man. I've always fished my whole life, um, and I always get like peer pressured into getting back into it. Like I think I saw, I think I went fishing one time so far this year, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going fishing now. So I don't know. It might be a gimmick. We'll see. What we'll, <laughs> we'll see if I can jump back into it and stick with it. You know, because I always like I'll go to a field and stream and I'll buy all the rods and reels and stuff, and then I just like get busy like eating or something and won't ever go fishing yeah you know so dude there's mad trout out this I way i don't i'm not from here. here i don't know how to trout yeah. fish i have no idea about anything like that i'm I, I, I catch fish people never heard of i'm from ohio yeah you know yeah so i'm from florida man i grew up on the yeah. salt water you yeah. know and this is a whole nother world but i see these cats catching just yeah. oh. trout like crazy yeah. they do like the trout release and the tuckasegi up the road from yep. here and dude, these people just like slay trout. Yeah, no, it, it's awesome. Well, my boss Nathan used to do a, a lot of spear diving and stuff oh, in Florida, man. man. And and um, and so he came here and he started like trout fishing and stuff. But when he tells me stories about uh, doing that in Florida, did you ever hang out with anybody that did that? I've done it. Yeah, yeah. He tells me stories and I'm intrigued by it, man. I'm yeah. so I'm like, what? He's I'm like, are you scared of sharks? I'm freaked out of sharks. Yeah. And I'm like, are you scared of sharks? And he's like, nah, nah. And I'm like, he's like this. He's like, he's like, I'm more afraid of Gooper. I've seen a lot. Yeah. But no, they're nothing to worry about. There's yeah. a lady. Um, she was actually on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, that's, Look at those trout. That's, that's what he caught the Holy other day. Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. That's a big one. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. There's a young lady. She's like 30 years old. She's from Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard her on Rogan's podcast like six or eight months ago, but it wasn't a super popular one. But mm-hmm. this woman inspires me. She was like, she's like 30 years old and she was like a big time corporate lawyer yeah. in, in Canada. And she started like assessing her life and like looking at like, you know, yeah, I got all this money and yeah, I got this badass job, badass house and all this stuff. But am I really happy? Am I living my life to the my fullest? Am I like... Yeah. Gr- growing, uh, her name is Valentine Thomas. Definitely throw her follow, throw her follow on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Everybody check her out. So she had this like super corporate freaking job, badass like lawyer, all the money, all the cars, every, all the bullshit. She wasn't happy. She looked in the yeah. mirror. She was like, you know what? This is just, I'm not in the end of my life. 
doing this for another 30, 40 years. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm not going to have the happiness that we all want and seek and pursue. So she just quit. Yeah. Right. She moved to Florida and became a spear fisher woman. Yeah. And that's all she does, dude. That's yeah, all that's she amazing. does as a, for like her career. And now she's doing like blogs and, yeah. and I don't even, I don't know anything or, about it, man. Dude, I don't, but it's it, so sick. It's man. something I want to try to do. Yeah, it's so one sick. Day. I, mean, I grew up in like Tampa, so it's not on the uh, Atlantic coast where yeah. the water's like crystal clear or in the Gulf of Mexico. But we used to just it's take, we, yeah, we used to take just the little Hawaiian slings, yeah. just a little like thing with a, yeah. a rubber band that wraps around your elbow and just like snorkel underneath the docks and shoot all kinds of fish. It was a ton of yeah. fun. But like you said, like, you know, her like doing up and doing something different. And, and speaking back on Rogan's podcast, man, I was listening to him and Dr. Phil. Yeah, I listened to him. And, and the funny <laughs> thing is, is that like, and, and, uh, and when, we'll, we'll finish up here, but like the funny thing is, is that um, when I was like, oh, Dr. Phil's on, I don't want to hear that guy talk. You know, he's so corporate, you know, he's whatever. He's so, you know, and I'm like, and he has some good stuff to say, man. And Joe Rogan was like, listen, Dr. Phil, you've made so much money, man. You made so much money. You know, you obviously aren't still doing the, you know, why are you still doing this? And he said, and he's like, you know, Joe, what's your, what's your money? You know, and he's like, what is your monetary gain? You know, maybe, you know, and, and that was neat. He's like, what are you still doing it for? It doesn't have to be about money. What else are you earning? Mm-hmm. And what's the um, reward? What's the reward? You know, and it was cool to hear Dr. Phil say that. And he also, real quick, he touched on something, and he, he talked a lot about internal and external depression and stuff like that. Like, did you hear him say that part yeah. of it? Uh-huh. He was like, with the youth and stuff, like, you know, there's the internal depression where, like, the chemical imbalance is off, you know, and the brain's wired a little different. And then there's the external when it comes to, like, family life and stuff at home and bullying and things like that. And we're treating a lot of this like it's internal. We're not treating a lot of it like it's external, you know, and and sometimes it is. Sometimes it's our situation that's around us and we're treating it with medications and Xanax and all this stuff. But it's not that not going to help anything because it doesn't change the environment around. So, yeah, yeah, no, I I thought that was awesome. Are you afraid for your kids with like this world that they're growing up into with like the technology and the bullshit online and just like the chaos and are there any fears? Um, yeah, I mean, that's what, I mean, we're moving our, um, we're moving, I got a cabin on the mountain. Yeah, we're moving, we're moving all the way out, um, in, in, in the middle of nowhere, you know, which I, but I live in the middle of nowhere too. And, 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 you know, I dove into it. So, um, and, and, and I, and I dove into it, um, as well. So like, here's the thing, people ask me about all that stuff, like, you know, not only, um, are you going to die, you know, what's up with all like all the computers and generations and how that stuff is, but also about the addiction standpoint, what's up with that? It's always like that quiet question that we don't have to, we don't like to think about with our kids, man. Um, like if I, if I ever catch my son or daughter smoking weed, am I going to be like, you know, you're terrible. And like, let me tell you about addiction or am I going to just be real soft? And then maybe they think it's okay. So like, um, so like, how do I, how do I dive into that? You know? And so Oh, I guess the main thing is just like, like I said, attraction rather than promotion, you know, is just always just make sure that I'm the best that I can be. And, you know, my dad raised me amazing and there's nothing he could have did to ever stop me. Um, but be, in this, be in, that positive role model. Yeah. But when it comes like electronics and stuff like that, like I, I, I want to keep that away from my kids. She always tries to grab my phone now as it is. 
Um, you know, so they all do. Yeah, always. She's always trying to grab my phone and watch it. She knows how to FaceTime me, and when I'm at work, she knows how to get her mom's phone and FaceTime me and everything. So yeah, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, it is, man. What's uh, what's yeah. next for you, bro? What's what? Tell me some goals. Like, what do you want to? Um, some goals. Um, so a lot of it's school. You know, I want. I, and the funny thing is, is I like. I, I love my career, and, and, and I feel very confident in, in that this is what I will be doing for the rest of my life. And, and, and a lot of the reason for that is that, like, I want to see something grow, and I want it to turn into something bigger. And so I want to be sitting back 50 years from now, 30, 40 years from now, and being like, this is my baby, you know, and we did this as a team. And, like, all of us came together and made this possible. Um, and so that's why I love where I'm at. But, like, a lot of my goals is that, like, I do want to get I, – I do want to – not in a career sense and in a monetary goal and an employment sense. I don't ever want to change, but a lot of my goals is, um, is learning and studying something different. Cause like I was never good in school, man. Yeah. I was never, ever good in school. Um, so like whether it be like studying law or, or diving into something like that or real estate, um, that, that intrigues me. I always have the entrepreneur, entrepreneur mindset mm -hmm. mindset and like jumping into like a real estate or something. Um, would would probably be like a goal you know doing that little on the side or anything or like having projects with that you know or owning a business man like that, i think that's cool too like uh, owning like a coffee shop and seeing something grow from scratch would be neat you know because that's like that's my life you know when i um when i first started when i first found recovery like i came from like the business world i had a i had a career before recovery and like i never in my wildest dreams thought about starting a business, right? It just wasn't something that was on my radar. But the process has been, like, mm -hmm. fucking badass. Dude. Yeah. Just to, like, yeah. learn all this, write a business plan, right? To sit down and write a business plan, like, yeah. you know, and look at projections and look mm -hmm. at your goals and things like that. It's, like, stuff that yeah. I knew how to run a business because I came from that world, but I, didn't, yeah. I never actually, like, started it from the ground up. Yeah, and people don't see what it comes behind all that too and i've never did it myself but I, but like i said the um the people that that i'm, I'm with every day have mm -hmm. and i and i hear their conversations and i and i see their discussions and it's like shit like that's some stuff man and, and paying attention um um you know to that so yeah that's that's amazing yeah yeah. Well, listen, dude, I wish you the best, man. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's been a pleasure dude. to yeah. have you. How can people get in touch with you or Astro Recovery Center? You got a work phone number, email, yeah, um, website, anything of that stuff? What do you want yeah, to give, give out? Anything. Just go to AstroRecoveryCenter.com, you know, or go to our Facebook page, type in Astro Recovery Center. Um, you know, give us, give me a call, you know, give us a call. Um, you can find me on Facebook if they want to find me. Yeah, my name's right there. Find me, hit me a message. Yeah. Um, look us up, you know, see what we can do. And let's I'll get include to links to our little thing yeah. that, I, that I email out. Yeah. I'll include links. Let's to get like, to know each other, man. Let's see what we can do. We I had a great time talking before this and during. So yeah, we yeah. will do that and we'll do it again, man. Yeah. Hey man, I take the show on the road like once a month. I do a podcast yeah. like out in the community and stuff. Yeah, you got to. So y'all want to do something from ARC, man. Let yeah. me know. Come by. Thank I'll you, be man. happy to do yep. that. Y'all yep. have a good night. Thanks for checking us out, y'all. See y'all. Thank you for listening to the podcast and a very special thank you to the Comfort Inn of Silva, North Carolina for providing the recording space for this and every episode that we record. Comfort Inn is a recovery ally and they support local community-based organizations just like NC Raw. If you happen to be visiting the area, it's a wonderful time of the year to pop into the mountains. 
um, come by, check out the Comfort Inn, pay them a visit, thank them for supporting NC Raw, and stay a couple nights and enjoy this wonderful, wonderful community that we live in. Uh, the Comfort Inn is located at 1235 East Main Street, and you can check out their rates at choicehotels.com. While you're online, go ahead and like subscribe to the NC Raw podcast on YouTube and through our website at ncraw.life. And we can be found on Twitter and Instagram at WNC Raw. Thanks for tuning in. 